0: Well, good morning again, and I welcome those, of course, online. And as we've been indicating this morning, this is emphasis on missions. And so the title of my sermon this morning is Fishers of Men. And I've got to tell you that it's a simple sermon. But I like what Alistair Begg once said. He said this, This message is not to teach you what you don't know, but to remind you of what you must never forget. And so my text is the Gospel of Luke, chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. It's printed in your handouts in the English Standard Version. In fact, all the scripture that I referenced this morning will be in the ESV. I find that it reads easily. And, of course, the sermon outline is also printed for your easy reference. I always ask you to walk with me as I go into Psalm 1914, because I seek his anointing. Because I'm using his thoughts, and I may be using my words, but I ask for an anointing on that. So, this morning, dear Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. Amen? You know, if you lived, let's say, 500 years before Christ was born and you were told that God would send the Messiah to this earth, that that Messiah would live 33 years, and only by the last three would his life be measured, what would you expect that those three years would look like? Now, let's make it more personal. Suppose from the day you were born, it was known, it was a fact that you were going to live only 33 years, and that your life would be measured by only the last three years, what would you do with your life? You know, I think it's indisputable that Jesus did more and accomplished more in the last three years of his life than any other human being has been in a full lifetime. In fact, I believe he accomplished more than any nation or kingdom in history. Well, H.G. Wells, the famous author, he's one of the top historians of the 20th century. He said this about Jesus, quote, More than 1,900 years later, a historian like myself, who doesn't even call himself a Christian, finds the picture becoming irresistible around the life and character of this most significant man. The historian's test of an individual's greatness is what did he leave to grow, Did he start men thinking along fresh lines with a vigor that persisted after him? By this test, Jesus stands first among all who have ever lived. End of quote. You know, someone has said that you can gauge the size of a ship that has passed by out of sight by the size of the wake that he leaves behind. And by any measure, Jesus left the largest wake behind him. And it all began with a journey that some men decided 2,000 years ago with this soon, to walk with this soon to become famous carpenter from Nazareth. And the scripture we're going to read this morning reveals to us the two things that Jesus did in those three years that made such a difference. You know, did you know that we have a missing persons epidemic in this country. Reports of people who have gone missing have increased sixfold in the last 25 years. Every hour, 100 Americans, both adults and children, are reported missing. That's 2,400 a day, 900,000 a year. I know those numbers sound incredible to you because your mind has not been on it. You know, perhaps you're driving and the car radio is interrupted. Perhaps you're watching TV and the news comes on with a message in the middle of the day and it's called an AMBER alert. You know, AMBER stands for America's Missing Broadcasting Emergency Response. And that was named after a child, after a little girl, Amber. She was a nine-year-old child who was abducted and murdered in Texas. Now, when you study the three years of Jesus' life as recorded and reported in the Gospels, you'll find amazingly that his life revolved around missing persons. Every person that is far from God is considered a missing person to God. There is an amber alert for every empty chair in this sanctuary. Jesus spent the three most important years of his life doing two simple things. First, finding missing persons. And two, making committed disciples. You know, of all the things that he could have done, he gave his life to those two things. And he wants you to give your life to those two things as well. And the key takeaway here is, when you make the purpose of his life the purpose of your life, you'll find the real purpose of life. And that purpose is found in the process of becoming a follower of Jesus. And you can sum up everything Jesus wants you to do in the first command that he ever gave to anyone, and it is found in two words, follow me. And those two words are the foundation of living a purpose-filled life with eternal consequences. Life is a journey, and someone has said that a journey of a thousand miles begins with one step. I want you all to turn to Luke 5 using your handouts because I like to use the same translation, utilizing and looking at the same words. And we're going to read a story of how Jesus called his first followers, but keep in mind that you're not reading a story just about them. We are reading a story about you and me. The steps they took are the steps we must take if we want to get on the greatest journey of all, the one that leads us right into a God-filled eternity, and the first step of this journey is simple. So first in your outline, hear the word of God. And Luke 5.1, our text says, On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Genserai. You know, the gospel writers have said this about Jesus' public ministry. They said it involved three things, teaching, preaching, and healing. And so for three years, Jesus went about the countryside, teaching what was right, preaching what was true, and healing what was wrong. That is important because this story begins with Jesus' teaching and the people hearing the word of God. And that's important. No matter what journey you begin, if it's a journey you begin with Jesus, it begins with hearing the word of God. Now, we know that Jesus was not teaching the Bible because there was no Bible as we know it today. Jesus was not teaching from a book. He was teaching from his heart. This phrase, the word of God, can also be translated the word from God. Every time Jesus opened his mouth, you were hearing the word of God. His teaching was the word of God because he was the God of the word. You know, the Apostle John in, would later write this in John one one: In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. So what was Jesus teaching this crowd that day? You know, before this story, you'll find that Luke records in his gospel, chapter 4, verse 43, where it says, But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for as I was sent for this purpose. Listen, he was teaching about the kingdom of God. Light had come to the spiritually dark, sight had come to the spiritually blind, and freedom had come to the spiritually captive. Now, in order to make sure the crowds could hear him and to create some space between himself and them, he does a wise thing. In our text, 5, verses 2 and 3, it states, And he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. He gets into Peter's boat, and then he has Peter push it offshore for a distance. Why did he do that? He was using the water to magnify his voice so that all the crowd who was standing all along the edge, all along the seashore, could hear him. If you've been out on a lake, it's amazing how you can be on one side and hear what someone on the other side is saying. Do you know why? Sound travels seven times faster and goes seven times farther over water than it does on land. So Jesus can speak and be heard by a large crowd on the edge of the water. This crowd is hanging on every word. And so is Peter. But he's a captive audience. He has no choice. It was his boat. And he's in the boat with Jesus. And Jesus knows exactly what he's doing. He knows the first step to becoming a follower of his is to hear the word of God. That is step number one. Here is step number two. Second in your odd line, trust the Son of God. Our text, Luke 5, 4 states, And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. I want you to notice that Jesus said, put out into the deep. Now the last thing that Peter wanted to hear Jesus say that day was, Let's go fishing. Peter was a professional fisherman. He does this for a living. He looks at Jesus and maybe he thinks to himself, that is just what you would expect a carpenter to say. Remember what Peter and his fishing buddies were doing in that boat. Our verse 2 says that they were washing their nets. Well, when a fisherman is washing his nets, it means the day's work is done. He has punched the clock. They've pulled in their nets. They've come into shore, and now they're cleaning their nets so they don't get damaged. It's time to quit. It's time to go down to McDonald's and watch a little ESPN, hit the sack, and get ready for the next day. That is why Peter protests at first. He says in our text, Luke 5.5, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. Peter was exhausted He and his partners had fished all night and they had not caught one thing. See, there was a reason why they worked all night. The fish in the Sea of Galilee feed only at night. In the daytime, they hide in the rocks. And at night, they also congregate around the streams and the river and the springs at the edge of the sea, close to the shore, not in the deep. A fish can't see a net at night, but he can see it in the daytime and avoid it. And Peter sees this request as being foolish for two reasons. First of all, it was the wrong time. The best time to fish was at night. Second, it was the wrong place. Every fisherman knew that the best place to catch fish is along the shore and not in the deep water. You know, if Peter and his crew went out to the deep, in front of that crowd, Peter would be the laughing stock of the community, and they would find themselves as the only boat out there. This is how I imagine the conversation went. Jesus, I really love you a lot, and you're a cool guy, but I am a professional fisherman, and you are a carpenter. I know fish nets and hooks. You know hammers and nails. You don't know anything about fishing. And listen, you also need to understand that fishing is a back-breaking work. You know, they lay out this net in a semicircle and it encompasses a radius of 100 feet. And then they draw it in hand over hand and they repeat that process over and over and over again. Jesus is asking a man who had spent all night hadn't caught one thing. He had just finished washing his net Gotten rid of the dirt, the debris, the trash, and the garbage that simply tangles the net. He's also being asked to beach his boat, load a thousand pounds of wet nets, and then row out to deep water in broad daylight and catch fish that won't even be there. You know, I think Peter expected Jesus to say something like this Forgive me for being so insensitive. Just forget the whole thing. Pretend this conversation never happened. Instead, maybe Jesus just folded his arms and stared at Peter. If you're a husband, you've seen that look in your wife. You know, I've had conversations with my wife. For example, I could say, I think that is a bad idea. I really don't want to do that right now. Or... I'd really rather go another time. Can we do this later? Wives don't say a word. They just give us that look. And we say, on second thought, I think that's not a bad idea. And so Simon Peter is saying in our text, Luke 5.5, at your word, I will let down the nets. Don't miss the importance of what he said. And what he did. What you're looking at is the first example of faith in the New Testament. Faith is simply taking Jesus at his word and trusting what he says. I can imagine that Peter says or said, I wouldn't do this just for anybody. But since I've heard you teach and I've seen you work. You know, back in the fourth chapter, we read that Jesus had been at Peter's house and he healed his mother-in-law. Now God honors faith, and faith is simply trusting Jesus and doing what he asks, in spite of the feelings within you, the circumstances around you, and the consequences before you. Listen, it is this second step of trusting the Son of God that makes the first step of hearing the word of God come to life. If you hear the word of God, but you don't trust the Son of God, then your hearing is of no consequence. It does no good. But Peter has taken the second step of what will be a lifelong journey, but now he is about to experience the greatest thrill of all, the third step. When you hear the word of God and you trust the Son of God, you then, third in your line, experience the grace of God. Notice exactly what Jesus said to Peter in our text, verse 4. Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Jesus didn't really say, let's go fishing. Because all fishing is, is looking for fish. He said, let's go catch fish. That's a big difference. Look what happens next in our text, Luke 5, 6, and 7. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. They signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. It is one thing to know how to fish. It is another thing to know where to fish. You talk about a catch. The two boats were filled so full that they began to sink. We're talking about tons of fish. The greatest in the history of that sea, never before and never since, has a catch like that been made. Do you know it's the first time in history that a fisherman could go home and actually tell the truth? Yes, I caught that many fish, and they were this big. You don't believe me? Ask Jesus. Put yourself in Peter's sandals. How excited would you have been? Can you imagine what Peter was thinking? The old Peter would have said, Jesus, why don't you and I go into business together? I know how to fish and you know where the fish is. We, I have a vision. We could open up restaurants all over Israel. But then the thought must have hit him. Why would Jesus a poor carpenter who didn't own a home and had no money of his own, who traveled the countryside preaching, teaching, and healing for nothing, no money. In fact, he could have gotten in somebody else's boat. Why did he get into mine, and why did he give me this catch? And then it hit him. Jesus doesn't care about fish or about business or about money. He cares about me. He doesn't care about prosperity. He cares about people, missing people like me. This is how Peter responds. Our text, Luke 5, 8 and 9. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, depart from me, for I am a sinful man. Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord." For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. Peter, who had called him master in verse 5 in the beginning of this conversation, which is a synonym for captain, now calls him Lord. I don't know exactly, precisely what Peter meant. But Peter either knew at that moment that this man was God, or he knew he was somehow in the presence of God. But he gets it right. Jesus, you are Lord, and I am a sinner. You know, it is the first time that the word sinner is found in the Gospel of Luke. And do you know what a sinner is? A missing person. And Jesus agreed with Peter, no argument. You are a sinful man. But as Peter is about to find out, Jesus is not going to leave Peter, but he's going to ask Peter to join him. So in our text, Luke 5.10, it states, And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid, for from now on you will be catching men. You know, seven times in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus will use these words, Do not be afraid. Or in the translations that I'm used to, have no fear. You know, what Jesus said to Peter, Jesus says to us. He tells us, I don't care what you've done. I don't care who you are. I don't care how bad you've blown it. If you, but you have nothing to fear from me. Jesus did not come to bring fear. He came to bring forgiveness. You know, it's amazing to me that Peter in saying, depart from me. At that point, he wanted to send the Lord away, but Jesus wanted to draw him closer. Listen, at the point you feel most far from God is the point that God wants to be most near to you. When you meet Jesus, and you recognize who he is, and you realize what you are, and you are resolved to bring what you are to who he is, he won't reject you. He will receive you with open arms. And when you experience the grace of God, it will lead you to step four. So in your outline four is step four. Follow the will of God. And Luke 5.10, our text states, from now on you will be catching men. You know, this phrase, Catch men is a combination of two Greek words. One word means alive, and the other means to catch. So the real sense is to catch alive. In other words, he says to Peter, Peter, what you are doing for a living is not what you're going to do with your life. You catch fish for a living, you're not going to catch people for life. You've spent your life catching fish for the purpose of killing them. You're going to spend the rest of your life catching people in order to give them life. But don't miss this. Jesus was telling Peter to do the very thing Jesus was doing. Jesus told Peter to go catch people because he had just caught Peter. He was saying, in effect, Peter, I caught you, so you will go catch others. I found you, so you will go find others. And from that point on, that point from Peter's life was going to be built around two things, finding missing persons and making committed disciples. And that was the will of God for Peter and for the first disciples. And that is the will of God for every Christ follower and every church, because every empty chair in this room represents a missing person. And our calling is to find them and make them followers of Jesus. And step five closes the circle. Fifth in your outline, surrender to the call of God. Our text, Luke five eleven states, and when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. That one should make you swallow hard. Those four men signed their names to a blank piece of paper that day and Jesus hadn't even written the contract yet. And this is what I want to close with. Christianity is more than just accepting Jesus, accepting his death, burial, and resurrection for your sins so that you might go to heaven when you die. It is also so you can live out his purpose in your life and make your life count, not just blowing your life on silver and stuff, but being willing as a once-missing person to find other missing people and to catch others the way you were caught. Is it scary? Yes. Is it costly? Yes, it is. It's a risk. To be in a mission-minded church or to minister in such a church. It is a risk to live the Christian life in our age and culture today. And make no mistake and don't be so naive. Christians are becoming one of the most persecuted religious groups in our nation. It's a risk to share your faith. With other people. It's a risk to stand firm for your beliefs when the world around you will say they're antiquated. You're a hater. You're a bigot. You're a hypocrite. But listen, when you decide to step out and follow Jesus, He takes responsibility for that journey. And I hear people say, you'd better give your life to Jesus because you might die. I say you had better give your life to Jesus so that you might live Amen. as he did. Amen. And we need to follow Jesus, not because he needs us, but because we need him to get out of this monotonous life and make it a momentous life. Amen? Amen. And so service is over. Why don't we set out and catch missing persons? Jesus would define a missing person as any saved person who is far from God, or a person who does not have a personal relationship with Jesus. You know, the first command that Jesus gave us was to be the finders of missing persons, or the way he put it to his disciples was to be fishers of men. Now the sermon next week will be on the harvest, which is the follow-up of this morning's message. How about Bring a missing person to the service. Amen? I'll see you next week.